Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Hello and welcome back to GodPod. If you are a previous listener to this series, and welcome for the first time if it's your first visit to us. So um, uh, it's Graham Tomlin here, the uh, host of GodPod. We also have um, our favourite old team from always, which is Jane. Hello. When you say our favourite. Michael. <laughs> our favourite. We, we, like we, we like each other. <laughs> we like it. We like it. If you don't like us, you can turn off now. That's fine. We don't worry at all. But um, uh, we are here to discuss a number of other questions which uh, are very uh, intelligent and thoughtful listeners have um, sent in to us. And we've got uh, three questions today to have a go at. Well, we'll have a go at three anyway. We we may get sidelined and find that we've only managed to get one because one gets too interesting to take up all our time. But we'll have a go at them anyway. So the first one is a question from um, Sally Owen. And uh, she says she really enjoys listening to, to our podcast here in Thailand. So there you are. We have reached as far as Thailand. It's amazing. And uh, here is her question. She says this. uh, We believe in free will during this life on earth, but what about beyond that? Do you think there are grounds for believing that choice continues after death? Do people who haven't really had much choice in this life, babies and children who die young, mentally disabled people, people in situations with very little knowledge or opportunity to discover, discover God, do they have a choice to be part of God's kingdom beyond death? Or do, for example... All babies end up in God's kingdom or heaven, whether they like it or not. And even for those who did have some choice in this life, will they have the opportunity to change their mind about God after death? And uh, there may be two questions sort of hidden in that. One is the question of of free will after this life. Um, Is there free choice or are we basically all programmed? In other words, is free will only, does that free will only exist here and now? Is there sort of free will in heaven, if you can put it that way? Um, the second one is, is there, is there a, a kind of second chance? Do you get a, a chance to, to have another go at the decision about God um, after this life is over? So, um, yeah. I'll have a crack at the first one. Um, I think one needs to think, why do we believe in free will? Uh, and I think, for all sorts of reasons, but one of the key ones is that it is only if we are free that relationship means anything. It's only if we are free to withhold love that the gift of love means anything. Um, if we are robotic, then we are not in relationship. And if the whole point of the Christian life is to call us into relationship with God and with one another, then that just assumes that we are free to say yes or no to that. Otherwise, we are God's rubber ducks or whatever it might be. Um, Now, if that is the case, why would he suddenly not want to have a relationship with us? Why would he suddenly want to stop having a relationship with us? Why would he want to fossilize that in some way and say, "Now, now you're becoming a robot? In fact, would that not be dehumanization? Um, like 
you know, taking out some a bit of somebody's brain or something, uh, so that they are no longer the same person, so that they no longer are the free, reactive, responsive, creative person that God created us to be and wants us to be. So I think I, I want to say quite decisively that I think there will be free will in the re- renewed creation. Um, of course, that raises questions about will the whole thing start again, but we've looked at those on other God pots. And, and of course, then the other thing I'd like to explore a little bit is what we mean by free will. Uh, and we can sort of sometimes talk about it as though uh, it means we have to be free to choose absolutely anything. Whereas it, it seems to me to make more sense to, that it means we we are free to be who we are in our choices. We are free freely to express our own personality so that um, as we grow in the knowledge and love of God there are certain kinds of choices that we could still make um, but that we don't really want to because we are free not to make those choices we are free to be ourselves in all our choices so again um, in heaven when we are truly free to be ourselves um, although we that is our we still have as Mike says choices about it, it, that we are freely relating to God, um, we wouldn't necessarily want to choose not to <laughs> by and, that And point. that's what sanctification is, yeah. is now, isn't it? It's becoming the sort of people who, though free to do wrong, will not do so. Uh, and that's partly sanctification during this life, the whole long, difficult, messy business. Uh, and then there's the transformation on death that being changed in a twinkling of an eye of which St. Paul speaks, making us in the direction that we've already chosen, Mm. the sort of people who, though free to give or to withhold love, will only give it. So that leaves you the difficult bit, Graham, about (laughs) what happens for those who You noticed we spoke it jumped in rather quickly. (laughs) Before we go on to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Coward. Quick thoughts. Get on to it, just wait and see. There's a very good book on... on, It's called Is There Free Will in Heaven? by a... Um, philosopher called Simon Gain and um, he, he writes about two kinds of freedom the, the freedom of indifference which is the freedom to choose whatever you want to do or the freedom for excellence the freedom to direct yourself which is kind of what you're talking about yeah. Jane the freedom to direct yourself towards the good uh, and towards towards God and um, and he says actually that you know, he understands that Christian freedom is actually freedom not just freedom of indifference because actually that could mean you know, the freedom that I exercise to become a heroin addict, which actually is not a freedom at all. In one sense, he's like, you know, if, 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 you're, if you think of a heroin addict, they are, they are free in one sense, but actually they're not free because they are bound to this addiction which keeps them heading in the wrong direction. Um, whereas the freedom for excellence is the freedom to be the excellent thing that you were created to be, to grow into that, uh, that likeness to God, which is what we were truly meant to be. And that is true freedom. And that does um, cut off some options because it it means not the freedom to 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 to, to enslave oneself. Um, but then, so, you know, it's back to this idea that you know, in one of the things about the new creation may well be that we are able to see things so clearly that actually we wouldn't choose what is evil and what is wrong. And it's, it's an idea that actually Iris Murdoch is a a non-Christian, but a, a, a very sort of perceptive philosopher has this very this idea. She can't quite believe in God, but she does have this very strong sense of the good, and she thinks of freedom as being ultimately, you know, seeing the good so clearly that the right thing to do is obvious. Um, so, in other words, you know, you wouldn't want to choose to, to do anything else. 
And that, I think, is a much more healthy understanding yes. of freedom. Although the two forms of freedom are related, aren't they? Because if we had the freedom to be the best we could imposed upon us, it would it would not work. So you you have to begin with the first freedom, and and in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, choose your way towards the second in some way. Yeah, which is why it's it's really so interesting that the New Testament says that Jesus made choices yes. um, and struggled, that his was not an imposed perfection, yes. um, but a, a lived and chosen and, um, uh, and directed one based on that loving relationship with the Father. Um, uh, and so I think... Um, I think the New Testament backs you up there, Mike. Uh, yes. Well, I went all the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> which does bring us on to our second question. Yeah. Which is, or the second part of the question, which is, are there second chances beyond um, beyond this life? And we've, we've touched on that, I think, on a, on a number of other God pods. There's a question of, does everyone end up getting saved at the end? Or, or is, there, is, there, um, is there a point at which um, one can opt for something other than God. Um, and it seems to me that, that, I mean, that again, we don't get a great deal of detail about what happens immediately after death in the New Testament. Uh, we are told there is judgment. Um, and we are given hints, it seems to me, that, that that radical choice that God makes available to us is a real thing. And it's not ultimately compromised by saying, well, at the end, you will you be don't forced to. No, no. At the end of the day, God's going to get you whether you like it or not. And in some ways, God gives us, respects us enough not to, to impose himself on us like that. Now, whether that means that death is the point at which that happens or, af or after that, um, well, you can argue that, that, that point. But it seems to me I, I find it hard to get to the position of saying that, that, that you know, there's a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance until you, until you get it right. Because ultimately, that seems to mean that ultimately God forces Himself upon us, which even if He takes His time about it, even if He takes His time about whatever it, whatever that might mean. Yeah, and I can understand people who want to argue that way because there's something quite attractive about that idea, uh, and I would love it to be true that everyone um, makes it in the end. Uh, but it seems to me that's quite a hard thing to reconcile with the genuine gift of freedom, which, if it has any real meaning has to have the possibility that we ultimately are, it's possible for us to reject God. But equally, I, I, I think I, I don't like the idea that God is less fair or just than, than we are in this sense that there are an awful lot of people who have never had a chance in this life to encounter the reality of God, who've, who've been introduced to God in ways that so warp God that it's not God they're actually relating to. So, so the, the, the sense that there, there must be a point at which people can genuinely see God and think, yes, this is what I want, or no, this isn't what I want. Um, and it, it seems unimaginable that you could look at God and not want him. But, you know, it, it's interesting, again, to see that people m met Jesus and didn't like him. <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, I think that has to be a real possibility, doesn't it? That people look at God and think, I really don't like this. And I think, I, I agree, Graham, that 
there isn't a whole lot to go on here in terms of New Testament um, evidence and teaching. But such as there is, it seems to me to suggest not so much that we get another chance as, the, as that we are the chance what we've done with the chances we have given is revealed in a new light so the story of the sheep and the goats people think that they haven't done anything to jesus and they find that they have um, both ways round. Uh, so what is actually revealed is the use they've made of the choices that they've been given and that may produce some sure. uh, unexpected and surprising and graceful it helps to answer Jane's question, I think, in that we tend to think it's, a, you know, have you responded to Jesus in this life? But there are people whose, you know, the Jesus they've been presented with is so far from the real Jesus that one almost cannot blame them for rejecting him or the God that they've been presented with or the people who have represented God have been so abusive and so damaging that one can't. You know, you honestly can't blame them for turning away from the church and God and, and everything else. But there are, as you say, there, there, there. Are, I often think it's 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 what we do with, you know, the real God when He does approach us, and He approaches us in all kinds of different ways that are not necessarily exclusively religious. It's almost how we respond to whatever goodness we receive from God. And whether that is something that is recognized, given thanks for. And it's not a matter of, you know, have I lived a good life? It's almost, have I recognized that I actually haven't lived a good life? Uh, is there that basic attitude of repentance and desire and hope for God uh, that God can recognize even if we can't? I find it very, um, I've always found it very helpful, that image in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, the last one of the Narnia, Narnia series. Um, which obviously is a story, it's pictorial, um, but it's quite a helpful picture of, of um, somebody who's been and who has opposed Aslan, the Christ figure, all through his life, um, and then suddenly and worship Tash and worship Tash, the yes. the the um, op the opposite of of, of Aslan, um, and then finally um, encounters Aslan and says to him, "I've hated you all my life. I've done everything I can to undermine you. Now that I see you, what I've always want wanted." And 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 I I think that's I, I as I say I find that a really helpful picture. We've got no um, reason to think of it as anything other than a picture, but and I I think. I find that a very helpful picture when thinking of not just individuals but kind of groups as well. I mean, yeah. the, the Muslim worlds, when you, when you say the word Christ, then they think of crusaders yes. coming to them with the point of a sword. And maybe they're not wrong to have rejected that distortion. Well, thank you very much, Sally, for your question. Really interesting discussion there. And um, we'll go on to number two, whether we'll actually get to number three at this rate. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is a question from New Zealand, from Stephen Thomas in New Zealand. And he starts off by saying, first of all, I want to thank, say a huge thank you for everything you guys have done and continue to do with GodPod. I've listened to nearly all of the 100 episodes and I've had many laugh out loud moments with my headphones on, much to the amusement of my wife, who keeps on saying, what are you laughing at? My, so the my theology. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We're laughing at Mike Lloyd, really. Um, so, uh, so thank you, Stephen, for your, your comments. But there's a question that uh, he has, which is that he's now um, in, you know, being having been in a Pentecostal church, is now into a kind of charismatic um, Anglican church, and and uh, reflecting on some of the things that are often said in churches like that. Um, uh, where it says something like this, you know, God is doing a new thing. We're heading into a new season where God is doing something fresh, exciting and new. 
And his question is, what is his obsession with the new? Uh, why does why are we always talking about God doing something new? Is God always seemingly doing something new? It all seems rather exhausting, he says. <laughs> uh, feeling like we constantly have to be getting on board with some new program. How tiring, How what the pressure is. Uh, and my cynical side says, oh, great, yes, yet another emotionally charged plea about another season that we're going into, uh, and so on. Uh, and Christ, of course, said it is finished on the cross. So that seems to imply that we, we go back to something that's done, that's finished, and we shouldn't be always looking for something something new. So where does that obsession in with the new come from? Is it a healthy thing? Is it a good thing? Uh, what do we think? Well, I have a lot of... Uh <laughs> sympathy with this this point of view and uh, so I kind of warmed the question really I think um, and I think there is sometimes a desire for novelty which can be unhelpful and can be a bit surface related um, and in some ways you know we want something exciting holiness is kind of the same as it always was it's a, it's not something exciting. It is something beautiful, but the way to it is a bit of a slog sometimes. You know, it's not exciting to practice your scales if you're a violinist. It's not. It just isn't. <laughs> but it does enable you to play beautifully. Uh, and it does enable the instrument to sing, and it does enable you to communicate beauty to the hearts of others. Um, and I think we forget the slog element and the repetitive element. There's, there's a certain sense in which doing anything well just means doing it over and over again. Um, be that learning how to dribble a ball, how to take a free kick, how to play the piano, how to live a holy life. Um, there's an there's a element of slog that we... <laughs> are not so keen on so we go for the froth and we go for the excitement and we go for the glitz um, as a way almost of swamping the ordinary and the mundane but also um the i i do think nostalgia is very bad for the christian life you know the sense that oh you know once it was all wonderful let's look back to the past um, and that that the sort of um, weariness that says we've tried that before and it didn't work. Let's just let's just stick in this little rut rut that we're already in. So um, again, if you're trying to lead a church, I can quite understand that sometimes you do need to remind people that God doesn't live in the past, um, and that that in, and isn't bound by the past. That God is. Uh, as you know, the, the resurrection of Jesus shows so so clearly, God is able to do something completely unimaginably new, um, which doesn't do away with the past, but but um, makes the past flourish in completely new kinds of ways. I mean, newness is it's quite a big theme in the Bible. You think of um, Isaiah forty three, which you know where, where the prophet says, you know, what God says through the prophet, "I am about to do a new thing." Now it springs forth, do not perceive it, which presumably is some kind of reference to the exile or the return from exile. But then even, even more, you get in you know, in Revelation, you get that, you know, behold, I make all things new. And I suppose newness is, is uh, and there's, there's two kinds of newness. One is, I think you're right, Mike, there can be a, a kind of unhelpful fascination with something fresh on the horizon, a new gadget, a new program, a new 
something which is is happening now and and, and that um lack of 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 contentment with with what God has given the lack of, of engagement with this long but at the same time um you know if 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 the spirit is constantly beckoning us towards God's future there's that sense that he's always summoning us towards the newness of the new creation and therefore there is this sort of eschatological focus of Christian life that we're being pulled forward uh, by the spirit uh, and that expectation that hope that newness will come that actually we're not just stuck with what we what we have now there is something new to come is actually quite an important perspective and we mustn't confuse that the new creation with the latest new you know trend or or um you know course or whatever it is in in the christian life so i i, I kind of i do sense that the language of newness is quite an important one for christian theology in the christian church but not confusing it with new things that we do here and now I, I think it's the difference between freshness and froth mm. isn't yep. it okay. mm. um, yep. newness as freshness what God does is going to be, to re it's not going to be stagnant it's not going to uh, leave us as we are it is going to stir it's going to freshen it's going to um, radiate um, there's going to be a freshness to it but it's not going to be froth either. It's not that's going to be the next new thing that we get galvanized about for the whole while and then get bored with and go on to something else and avoid all the difficulties and challenges of ordinary human life. I think, I mean, you're, you're right. The, the, the Ecclesiastes has this whole thing of, you know, vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Um, everything's meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, mm. the resurrection has disproved that. Mm. The resurrection has broken into that. And that is part of the gospel, and that is part of what God does, and and the good news of of God. Um, but but even so, that doesn't discharge us from our responsibilities of of repetitive discipline. Uh, so that it's important that the, that the violinist doesn't keep playing the same piece. <laughs> over and over again uh, they should play new pieces and that will be energizing for them and for their audiences uh, and that will be a wonderful thing and a fresh creation of beauty they still have to do their scales mm. yeah and it's the difference i guess between sort of human newness uh, kind of generated newness and god's newness because i think the, the bit that's exhausting which is what stephen's talking about is you know we're always generating new ideas and new programs. You know, if you do this new trick, your church will grow and, and we've got to learn something new and and leave the, the old ones and so on. And that is quite exhausting. That is quite sort of, um, um, especially when you go through cycles and you try the new fad that comes along and then another one comes along and that can be ultimately a little bit, people can get cynical about uh, about that. Um, but the sense, but I do, I do want to distinguish that from, from the sense that, you know, God is always, in a sense, leading us on into new things. There's always more of God to be discovered. There's always more um, of His love to be uh, to be explored. There's new ideas to, to to encounter and to understand. There's new. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I think it's kind of what we've discovered in God Pod that you know we we never get tired of talking about mm. about no, God. Because people probably get tired of listening. <laughs> but quite true. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always something new to to think about. Mm. You'd have thought after 100 episodes we'd have, we'd have exhausted the, the topic, but we haven't. I think that's right. But I think part of the difference is whether it's a new thing about God, and that's going to be inexhaustible, 
um, or, or a new technique, a new kind of way way of being church. I think the old ways of church, of being with church. I mean, I'm not knocking <laughs> fresh thinking or fresh expressions, yeah. but um, it, it needs to be about God rather than just a new style or whatever. And, and one of the things you notice about God's action is that it can be um, it doesn't throw away the past. It may be utterly imaginable from where you stand in the present what God's future is going to be, but God's future will come out of what is uh, of, of the things that you didn't notice were there. So, so it is deeply built on what has gone before, but not, but not limited by what we can imagine mm. is possible. Yeah, which goes back to Paul's image of the the seed that grows into yeah. the plant, you know, or the bulb. You know, the, a bulb looks entirely different from a from a tulip, but actually, one flows from the, from from the yeah. other. They're, they're 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 continuous, even though they look very different. So if you'd the never, tulip is yes. entirely new, and it's yeah. exactly if you never, if all you've ever seen is bulbs, you could never imagine what a tulip yeah. looked like. And the tulip is not entirely different from the bulb, but it's it's grown out of it. It's there is that continuity, but that's what um, I suppose we as Christians believe. In some ways, we're we're a bit like. Kind of bulbs planted on the ground along mm. and under the ground, talking to each other, imagining that one day it was quite possible we might actually grow into tulips. Um, Even if we don't yet know what a tulip is, exactly. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or we have dim ideas of what they might be. We've heard, yeah. we've heard rumors of the fact that tulips might exist up up there in the in the in the air, but we don't. We haven't seen too many of them. We've seen one, but um, yeah. Is this another version of the kind of already and not yet tension? within Christian faith, that those who focus completely on the new are like those who think the future's already here, kind of thing, a little bit, if they're making an error, it's in that direction. Whereas people like me who think, oh no, the old's <laughs> much better, are like those who yeah. want to emphasize the not yet. But yeah. actually, yeah. Um, there is an already and a not yet. Yeah. And, and we need to keep that balance. Um, I think it may map slightly onto that. Mm. Yeah, and it may map, map onto temperament too. There, are, there, are, there are people who are constantly thinking, "Oh, what's the next new thing?" And yes. that can be yes. a quite a good, energizing thing within a church life. You need people who've got that sense of excitement and anticipation and want always wanting to push you on. But actually, you also need the other people who are saying, "Actually, it is in the disciplines, in the ordinariness that we we also find God." And but sometimes you kind of need, if you're one one or the other of those, you need a bit of the other. It's why actually we need each other within the Christian church, um, because those who just are quite happy with the present and, and don't want to move on that much need those who are pulling them forward and vice versa. Yes, and 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 the the new types will find the old types exasperating, and the old types will find the new types exhausting, won't they? Basically, but but that's part of the commitment of being together. That is, yeah, the interdependence of Christian life. Very good. Well, I don't think we have got time for our third question. Have we? Sadly not. I don't think we have. I think time have. is rolling on. So I yeah. think we've probably reached the end of Godpod um, this time. So um, thank you for listening, those of you um, who have got through to the end of this one. Uh, some fascinating questions again. Uh, again keep um, please uh, sending in your questions because, um, as we said a few moments ago, there's always more to, to talk about. And it's the questions that really get us going. It is. Yeah. It is. It's very much so. Yeah. And, and we, we ought to say a little farewell, shouldn't we? We should indeed because... There is someone who rarely gets a mention on Godpod, but who right from the very beginning has been um, a crucial figure in it all, who is our beloved Keith Anderson. Uh, Keith is our, um, our sort of technician. He's the person who uh, 
set up uh, Godpod number one when I think there was probably only one microphone in the in the room and we all huddled around it. Uh, it's developed into like a, the BBC. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now we, we've we've migrated and evolved and developed into very three very fancy microphones that we use. And um, but Keith has seen that um, through. So Keith. Um, you've done a brilliant job in uh, managing Godpod all the way to this point, and, and he's had to listen to all the episodes. Yes, poor yes. thing. Yes, what a what a penance. No wonder he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Edit out Mike's theological mistakes and jokes and jokes mainly yeah. and jokes, yes, yes. all of that kind of thing. So Keith, we are immensely grateful to you, and uh, for you Godpod listeners out there, um, yeah, I want you to realise the, the debt we owe to Keith, and um, this yes. is his last one because he's handing on the job. Uh, to um, to a, a new technician, uh, Mark. So we're delighted to welcome Mark as part of the team as well. So um, that's our farewell for, for today. So um, thank you, Keith, and um, goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question... Just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.